you find yourself now where you need to be with God and uh, you uh, you blame God for something that that God loves so much you know and, and we don't understand and I, I got mad and I remember uh, shaking my fist and saying if you were a man you know that uh, that uh, I'd like that moment just to you know to retaliate for what you've done and not realizing that, that God's a God of mercy. My vision is going to derive from my dad's dreams because we know the Bible says that old men are going to dream dreams, young men are going to see visions. And what dad has seen with his eyes shut, I believe I'm going to see with my eyes open. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Well, Brian, tonight we have two guests on our podcast. We've never done this before. Now, this will be the the first time of having a four-person podcast, and we are very thankful that uh, the Etheridges have invited us into their church here in Paragould, Arkansas. Uh, Beautiful facility they just purchased uh, not too long ago. Um, in fact, uh, Justin, I was at uh, the Sumo restaurant in Jonesboro a couple of weeks ago, and I overheard that there was a guy talking about how they sold their church property uh, in Paragould, and I started listening in. I said, man, that sounds a lot like what happened with Greater Vision and Eastside Baptist. So I asked the guy, and I said, hey, man, let me ask you a question. Um, the, are, are you guys from Eastside Baptist? He's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we used to be, and we've moved over. Uh, we've, we've sold the church, and we're in that church that bought it, their old building. And I was like, man, I, I know the Etheridges. And so he spoke yeah. very highly uh, of you both in this time of transition. Um, you guys want to talk about kind of how that relationship got built and how I know the church here in Paragould started on the east side, and here you are back on the east side. Uh, how, how did that come about? Yeah, we've been uh, in Paragould for 20 years now, I guess this last March. And uh, we started over on the east side. We've got a heart for the whole city, but, you know, we're kind of a, we call it Mission 25, Matthew 25. Uh, and, and we got a heart for, for those less fortunate. And we went over, we've been through a few different buildings. But the way this started, uh, coming over here on Court Street on the east side of town, by an east side Baptist church, uh, I drive a school bus at Greene County Tech, and one of the uh, the deacon members of Eastside Baptist Church is a bus mechanic out at Greene County Tech, and we was talking one day. He's like, yeah, we've been thinking about selling our church. He said, we've had land for about 20 years. We just it never seemed right, hadn't built on it. And I was like, well, we've been in our building for about 20 years. And then the very next day, a guy named Packy Magel, and uh, our boys happened to be in the same class uh, this last year in kindergarten, and it's, it's crazy how when you look back and how, how God thing work, God works things out. But he mentioned to me the same thing. He said, hey, we've been talking about uh, selling our facility. And I was like, well, the other guy I was talking to, just, he just mentioned the same thing. And before I even thought about it, because we, we had been planning on building, didn't know what God was setting us up for before it even processed in my mind. It came out of my mouth. I said, hey, we want to look at it. <laughs> And then uh, he's like, well, uh, we can set that up. He said, we hadn't completely decided on selling it yet, but uh, he, he said, you know, if things work out, he said, we can do it. So he talked to some guys, and 
I talked to, to Dad here, and we talked to some guys at the church, some of the board members, and we decided we were going to look at it, and then we set up a time. Me and Dad came over here and uh, wasn't, wasn't so sure what was going on at the moment, just praying about it and trying to fill it out, and came over here. And by the time we got done walking through this facility, uh, me and Dad just both had a feeling just come over us, just just knew it was a God thing. Sometimes you can't explain it. You don't know what's going on. You just know it's God. And uh, and I guess I'll just go ahead and just throw this out there. What we were looking at doing and, and trying to figure out all the business aspects and, and how we were going to make it work, you know, knowing in the end God can make anything work when you don't have the finances, when you don't have the, the means to do something. And uh, we got to, to thinking about we were going to build that's why we our building was so far back. We had 20 acres over there, and we were we were needing about five million dollars to build a 20,000 square foot facility. Wow. And in our mind, we're thinking this this facility is still not everything that we need, but we can only do what we can do. And at the time, we wasn't able to do that, so we we didn't know how long off in the future we've been running 350 people uh, in a three as church that sits 320 people for for years now we just have kids go back and and have to do whatever we can do to make it happen but anyway back to Eastside Baptist Church uh, what it ended up happening making a long story short and there's so many God stories and miracle moments throughout this that that we could probably just almost write a write a book for for one thing they've had land for 20 years that it, it never worked out for them to build on and then on 20th year all of a sudden God opens the door said here y'all build here and then God opens the doors for us, and we've been in our building for 20 years, so the same exact time. But uh, came over here, and uh, like I said, we were needing $5 million for a 20,000-square-foot building, but God said, what I want to do is I want to give you a 60,000-square-foot facility for $2 million. So he just, he just blown, blown our mind just over and over and over. So, Pastor Etheridge, you are—we're going to get into your story here in a little bit, but— a lot of people that know you um, know that you're a vision caster. Um, can you can you explain to to our audience here who or how did you present this vision of switching churches back to the east side of Perryville? How how did you how did you explain that to your saints? When we originally started twenty years ago. Uh, in prayer, we decided to name the church Greater Vision because we felt like that's what God had given us. About maybe three years ago, we've been having some crazy church. We've always had crazy church. But about three years ago, you know how God will stop a service and everything gets that holy hush, and then God begins to begin to have tongues interpretation. And a lot of times, you know, it, it's it's something encouraging, something going forward, you know. But then, you know, after a few months, whatever, you forget what, what that was. But it got quiet, and everything stopped, and then uh, uh, somebody began to give uh, tongues, and then, then God gave us the interpretation. And what he said was, he said, I'm going to give you fruit that nobody else will pick. Wow. And then, and then things really got crazy. That next service, it looked like we was having a motorcycle rally in there. People coming in there with the big gulps, you know, and tattoos, and you know. And I'm thinking, oh God, how, <laughs> what are we going to do with this crazy bunch? And then, 
then God just stopped and said, this is what you prayed for. And then, then suddenly it just seemed like God geared everything. And then we began to get a new direction, get, began to get new vision. And, and, uh, and what seemed to be coincidental that my son just happened to be at the right place at the right time, you know, it, it was a God thing. And, and, and from that moment, from the time, let, let me share this with you. Uh, we've got a daughter work, uh, Brother Followell there in Jonesboro. And he came and preached, and he brought a, uh, a sack, which I have about a quarter of a bag of, of that sack of Martha White cornmeal. And he <laughs> preached about faith, how, you know, some people dabble it this way. And then, anyway, there was about a quarter of a bag left, and I grabbed that bag up, and I said, this is, this is our new church. And at that time, we were still planning on building the $5 million facility in front of ours, which, which was only going to give us another 20,000 square feet. And uh, then God opened that up, and, and by the time that my son uh, had heard that, and by the time we closed, uh, the, uh, the best buy date hadn't even went by on the cornmeal. <laughs> Matter of fact, we could go make cornmeal, cornbread right now. It's, it's still. Don't tempt us. <laughs> Pause that thing. <laughs> but, but that's how quick God did that work. But we were praying. We were praying, Lord, even if you give us a 20,000-square-foot 20, facility in front of this one, that's not big enough to do what you called us to do. And then God said, uh, if you, you know, it, it's like it, God just said, hey, I'm going to show you what I can do. And then, boom, it just out of nowhere. Uh, first two times we come in here and toured the building, I got lost. It's so big. You know? And, and uh, uh, people come in. And, and uh, since we've been here, I know we've baptized. We've been here, what, two months now? We baptized 20 in Jesus' name. Probably wow. had that many get the Holy Ghost first time. And, and, and over uh, 60 first-time visitors. So that's almost like time. a confirmation. Oh, definitely. 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 That's awesome. Definitely. So let's, let's go back just a little bit. You've not always been a vision caster, and we're going to get there, but let's go way back, Brother Etheridge, way back. Somebody told me that you are a son of the town drunk. Yeah, that's that. That's correct. Tell us how you go from the son of a town drunk to getting involved in church and your ministry. Uh, this this is how God works. Uh, there's six of us boys, and we have two sisters. There's there's eight siblings in our family, and it's as long as I can remember, my dad never worked, but he worked us, you know. And uh, and of course, he would be there on payday to get the check, and then he would get drunk because uh, that that's what he lived for was this next drunk. And what is so ironic, uh, growing up in that atmosphere, you know, because, you know, you're the kid who uh, uh, doesn't get to go on the class trips because you don't have the dollar to ride the bus, you don't have the $5 to get in, you know, or whatever it is. And you're the kid with the big red F on your lunch card because it's free, you know, and you're the kid who whose blue jeans have holes in them. Uh, I was wearing blue jeans with holes when it wasn't cool. <laughs> but, uh, but, but. But God had his hand in everything we did. And, and what's ironic from, from that point, uh, I think because of the atmosphere that I grew up in, it, it made me um, more ambitious, more want to, to, to seek you know, a way out of that environment. And, uh, and uh, we went to a, a, a revival and we began to pray, me and my brother Joy, we began to pray. And we said, God, send us to where you want us. And uh, I didn't realize when I prayed that prayer that it was going to be uh, Scott and Porter Street uh, on the east side of Perigo across the tracks. And we, we got in, God filled us the Holy Ghost, and then, uh, then things went from there. And just God began to do great and mighty things. And so, Pastor Justin, your dad was the son of the town drunk. 
you're the son of the town pastor. Right. How has that made you to become the man you are today? Uh, sometimes I, I guess I let it go by without really thinking about it, but every once in a while I click in my mind and, and think, you know, I, we, we don't have a five, six generation, but, but because of the stand that Dad took, had taken, you know, it completely changed the direction of my life. So I, I am so thankful for that. I don't, all the things that he experienced, he made sure I didn't have to experience those things. I've never seen my, I've never heard my dad say a cuss word. I've never seen him take a drink. I've never That's seen funny him. you asked because when we were getting ready to do this podcast, uh, Bishop Etheridge asked me, can we cuss on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, brother, that is up to you. I won't tell you what he said after that. I'll let him tell it if he wants. Anyway. Well, I tell you, if he did, that would, that would be the, the absolute first time, but but dad when he decided to take that stand to change his life thank god that that he found an apostolic church and and that not only changed the direction from them but it changed generations after that and and i'm i I can't say how thankful i am enough because of that because of what i experienced growing up he instilled something and parted things inside of me that my kids are going to benefit from there's a lot of talk in in the church day about generational curses but you really you're in a generational blessing. Yes, generational generational promises, yes. Well, I think it is scriptural that it says that, the, and in the, I can't remember exactly where it's at when it talks about to those that love my law, I will visit mercy upon them unto the thousand generations. And so family curses, they only last two or three generations, but a blessing like this can last for a thousand generations. And so so thank God, I thank God with you for, for the heritage that you've had and the impact that you're both making in this city. Um, and so with going back to, uh, I'm sorry to kind of jump back and forth here, but with the name of your church being Greater Vision, I've honestly never even considered the reason why it was named that is because you were given a greater vision for this city. Um, there's To the people that are out there, though, in the Bible it talks about how without vision my people perish. How important is it for our listeners to have a godly vision for their own life? And of course, with you, you have a church vision, but how important is it for them to have a personal vision for their life that I feel like this is what God is leading me to, and I'm going to be committed to that. I'm going to serve God in the calling that God has put into my life. Well, I certainly think, you know, a personal vision, that's everything as, as preachers, as pastors, as I guess you can take your whole fivefold ministry. We, we, can, we can motivate and we can inspire, and, 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 and certainly there's an anointing there. Uh, but without a personal vision, you know, nobody's going to get to their calling. They're not going to get to their destination where God's wanting them to be. So without that, uh, I, I mean, you know, we can do everything that we can do. We can pray, we can preach, but at the end of the day, and we was actually talking about this just a couple of days ago, you know, the best that we can do is, even as pastors, get ourselves to heaven. Because, I mean, we can come in and, and we can we can preach and we can counsel, we can pray, we can do all these things. But if people don't grasp that revelation and have, even as a, a, a preacher's kid, and we were just talking about this, you know, I came to a point in my life I couldn't live off mom and dad's relationship with the Lord anymore. And that's everybody else. You know, that's not just, a, that, that's every individual that God's ever created. you you got to have your own personal relationship with the Lord. And without that, without getting a vision, then, then you ain't going to make it, I reckon. 
I don't want to be disrespectful calling you Justin. You're right ahead. Uh, but Justin, let me ask I'm you something. I'm not used to Pastor Justin yet anyway. <laughs> but let me ask you something. It seems like a trend that we get on the podcast is you got to plug yourself into a man of God or plug yourself into some sort of source to keep, Certainly. Yeah, to keep life and keep breath and rejuvenate. Is there a person in your life, and don't take the cop out because your father's sitting right beside you, but right. is there a person or a thing that you've plugged into as the pastor's kid in, in, in the church or in the city that you had to plug into that gave you somewhat of what your dad's vision was? Right, like like somebody that I look up to or who I could call my pastor other than dad. Absolutely. Uh, I've talked with uh, a few people, uh, not a whole lot, uh, but certainly dad uh, I'd say one person I talked to I asked if I could you know rely on them and, and call them my pastor and that's brother Anderson and he said certainly anytime you'll call me and he's he he's just magnificent just a, a wealth of wisdom he talked about uh, pastor Followell will ago and and recently I've, I've really started to rely on him and we talk quite often and uh there was a guy named Brother Johnson that 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 we real connected really connected well with, and he pastors in Corning, Arkansas, and he's he's also just a wealth of knowledge. And these these guys, I know they love me and they have my back, and and they're always there for me. And I know there's more, so I hate to leave anybody out. Yeah. But uh, uh, to Bishop Etheridge, uh, you are the presbyter of Section Nine, correct? Yes, sir. But you still have to have a pastor in your life, don't you? Yes, I do. Who at this stage of life, um, who do you go to for for encouragement for yourself? Well, <laughs> I think me and my son are, are quite alike, you know. But uh, but uh, I made myself accountable to Brother uh, Dennis Anderson, and it's been that way for years. Of course, our district superintendent, Brother Getty, uh, you know, uh, he's a go-to guy. Brother Sullivan, these are all great men, you know, that uh, have proven themselves, you know, and are, are, are effective and successful in ministry. And, and uh, I think that you, you need to do that. You need to find men, you know, that are you can make yourself accountable to. And then, uh, uh, but I only have just a handful of men that I'll go to because, you know, too many voices brings too much confusion. But if you have somebody that's been tried like these men, uh, they're, they're 100% right every time. I like to call them my blacksmith. There you go. Mm-hmm. Were you guys at uh, men's conference? Sam Emery. Oh, man. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. who that's you were think- yep. I was thinking when you were talking about that. Yeah, Bishop, let's go back again. Me and Brian's already playing ping pong about where we're going with this podcast. But I want to go back a little bit. At what age did you, or what year even, did you um, receive the Holy Ghost for the first time? We started looking, and I, I hate to say it this way, we started looking. <laughs> we got to start looking for girls <laughs> and and uh, uh we ended up in Perigal, but we had prayed about that but it, it was in december 73 i was 17. 17 years old and mm-hmm. you went into the military shortly after that didn't you yes yes met my wife we got married and i graduated 75 i joined the army uh, so you got married before you went into the military uh-huh how did that happen? Well, <laughs> you ready for this story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I, uh, we had talked about marriage, and uh, I was going to wait till I finished college, then I was going to wait to finish junior college and get a social degree, then we got married two weeks later. 
Uh, her mom and dad had broken up and they were fixing to move to Peoria and we were you know we I was 18 and she was 16 at this time and and we were just so madly in love that uh, we talked to them and the signing for both of us and we got married on Friday and went back to school on Monday (laughs) (laughs) and that's why I joined the army because I wanted to you know provide for so you you had to move away from her for a period of time correct yes there's periods of time and so you're you're married freshly out of high school going into the military how did you juggle christianity military life and married life as such a young person well uh not very well i wasn't able to juggle it at all i started december 73 brother uh uh greer uh was our pastor and uh Great man of God. He was pre- presbyter of section nine for probably over twenty years. Yeah, probably forty years, maybe close to it. But uh, uh, and he 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 was a great man, and and uh, he taught me a lot of things. But when we moved away, got away from that, and I remember uh, my twenty first birthday. We're we're at, I'm with the hundred first airborne division at Fort Campbell, and uh, uh, I grew up in that uh, alcoholic atmosphere, and said I would never do that because of my dad but on my 21st birthday away from home away from everything decided you know that'd be celebrate my 21st birthday which started a down spiral you know and and uh, I got into a lot of things I shouldn't have gotten into but by the grace of God you know God pulled me back in so how long were you out of the church and you were in the military at this time when Mm -hmm. you were out of church how long were you out of church I was out uh, from uh, from seventy five probably till seventy yeah Mother's Day nineteen eighty. I'd spent three years with the Hundred First Airborne Division, and from there I spent four years uh, at Fort Jackson at training post there. And uh, and uh, I remember, you know, you, you get away from God, and and you, you think I'll never do these things. I won't get this bad. This won't happen. And before you know it, you know you're you're doing all the things that you said you'd never do because you you're out there without the Lord and. And I remember uh, I got hungry and God began to deal with me. And I told my wife, I said, we're going to church. And uh, this was while we were at Jackson in, in Columbia. And uh, uh, so on Mother's Day, we went to church. Matter of fact, I, I got under conviction so strong that I had her and my son Jeremy, uh, which is our middle son, got in the car and I said, let's just go down there. Maybe the pastor's doing some work there. Maybe somebody's cutting the grass. Somebody can open the door. I need to pray through. That's, that's how strong so it got. So it's crazy. When you become desperate, yes. you don't care. You don't the care. Time, it the doesn't hour, matter. The day. Yeah, or who cares or what somebody else is going to think about. Because when you get ready, when God begins to deal with you, Man, everything else, it's tunnel vision. And we got there Saturday, and nobody was cutting the grass. There was nothing going on. The door was locked. And so the next morning was Mother's Day. We went in there, and they had a good Mother's Day sermon, had little plants all over the altars. He didn't care nothing about that. No, he was getting ready to dismiss. You know, people was fixing to get their little plants and go home. And, man, I broke loose, ran through there, pulled the plants away, prayed back through the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And three years later, I'm pastoring that church. That's crazy. So you you prayed through, and then in three years you were the pastor of the church. Interim pastor. Okay. Uh, so in, in that time, being so uh, fairly young in praying back through, were you, did you feel like it was kind of sink or swim? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Are there some times you look back and you go, I absolutely sunk during that situation? Well, you find yourself in places you don't think you'll ever be, doing things that you vowed you'd never do. 
you get in a place where I remember I, I would go to bed at night and I would think that verse where it said he's coming when you least expect it. And I couldn't even tell you back then where it was found, but, but every night I'd go to sleep, I'd say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm expecting you to come. And that's the only way I could get peace to go to sleep and finally got to the point where I, I, it didn't matter. I was going to pray through, you know. And, and so I found that altar and prayed back through, and, oh, what a powerful thing that was. Did you have any kids at this point? Yes. Uh, uh, I'll share this with you. In 75, we were, we were at Campbell. We had our first little boy, uh, Richard Wayne. We call him Little Ricky. Uh, he had had a, a checkup uh, just like four days before he was two months old. The doctor said he was healthy, everything was fine. Two days later, uh, which was November the 6th, uh, we were fixing to go over to our neighbor's house and have supper. My wife goes in there to wake him up, and, uh, and he passed away. And. Uh, You find yourself not where you need to be with God, and uh, you uh, you blame God for something that that God loves so much, you know, and and we don't understand. And I, I got mad, and I remember uh, shaking my fist and saying, "If you were a man, you know that uh, that uh, I'd like that moment just to you know to retaliate for what you've done, and not realizing that, that God's a God of mercy." And uh, and losing little Ricky uh, put us into even a greater uh, spiral down, and it got to the place where uh, uh, we were getting to the place, you know, depressed, uh, alienating ourselves even from each other when we needed each other the most, and uh, and uh, and finally we began to to grow, and and uh, uh, we have our second son, which is Jeremy, and. Uh, you know, everything's getting better. We're back in church now. Everything's going. And you, you know how you have a child and you, uh, you, uh, you know, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to break a finger, break a bone. They're going to cut this. And, and uh, then it's almost like you're relieved when that happens because now that's behind you. If you ever lose a child, uh, you know for sure that, Lord, this will never happen again. And uh, so we had Jeremy, and uh, and in '95, Jeremy was our, our youth pastor. He was my son Justin. He was his hero. Uh, Justin's nine year old. Jeremy's 18, and uh, he's going to Pocahontas to uh, to do a service for for, rally, yeah. uh, for me because I, I was having some uh, church issues that I had to deal with. So I called. Uh, the Cochran's and they said, "Sure, you know, let Jeremy come." Oh, he was so excited! It's the first time he gets to preach out, you know, he's gonna get that paycheck, and and uh, uh, he's up there and he does skits and all this kind of stuff, and he leaves a word with them. And the last thing he says is this: He said, "God's never let me down." And uh, 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 do y'all have time for me to share this? Absolutely. And uh, he's coming back from Pocahontas. Uh, and he gets almost a Delta plane down there. And uh, he stops to give his fiancée, she was with him, uh, a kiss. He's kind of a helpless romantic. And he didn't notice that somebody come up behind him, and they hit him and knocked him 150-something feet. And uh, uh, it, it, it took his life. Everybody else walked away from it. It's December 2nd, 1995. It's 20 years uh 
and uh, almost a month when we lost our first little boy. But we were pastoring. We were leaning on God. We were trusting God. And somehow through all of this, God gave us a, a peace. But we still found ourselves in a place where you don't know if you can recover or what's going to happen. And, and uh, uh, I remember after this was going on, Justin was nine, and, and, and for, I know, six months, maybe a year, he, uh, we pulled his bed in there, and he slept holding his mama's hand. Sister Etheridge had gotten to the place where uh, she was withdrawn again. I had uh, assigned somebody to church to, to just bring in preachers until I could get back up there. God has a way uh, of putting things together, even though we're in a place of confusion. Uh, Brother Sanford said this way, he said, our setbacks, amen, are just uh, our, our setups for a comeback. And, uh, and we're trying to deal with this, and my wife has a dream. And she's saying, the Lord's telling the Lord, said, I can't live without, without Jeremy, because, you know, you didn't think this could ever happen twice you know, in somebody's life. And she has a dream one night. And in that dream, God allowed Jeremy to come back for two weeks. And uh, Jeremy always had a big smile. He's always happy. He's everybody's buddy. Uh, that When we had his funeral, every couple hour in Paragool, a uh, flower shop was sold out. They dismissed school to come to his funeral. People would come up and say, hey, Jeremy prayed for me in the locker room. Jeremy did this, Jeremy did that. And uh, and uh, he was just, you wonder why God took him. And she had a dream. And in that dream, the Lord allowed Jeremy to come back for two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, he looked at his mom. He's not smiling anymore. He said, Mommy, you don't understand. I had to go. And uh, he leaves. And then she prays in that same dream. She said, but I can't live without Jeremy. And the Lord allowed him to come back for two more weeks. But this time, his hair was longer. And uh, uh, he was smoking. And at the end of two weeks, he looked at his mom and said, Mommy, you don't understand. I had to go. And he left, and she prayed again the third time in the same dream. She said, but I can't live without Jeremy. And uh, so the Lord allows him to come back. He's got long hair. He's smoking, and he raises his hand like he's going to hit his mom. And he says, Mommy, you don't understand. I had to go. And what we thought was uh, maybe punishment because that's the first thing you do. What did I do to cause something, you know, bad in my life? But, but we realized then that it wasn't something bad. It was something good because God saw something down the road that he wasn't going to be able to handle. And because of his love for him, and I believe his love for us, that God chose that moment to take him away. He saved his soul. Yes. I heard a sermon very similar to that. Brother Sam Emery, he lost a son. Uh, his first, I think it was his first son. And in the sermon that I was listening to, he talked about how his wife was praying, God, whatever it takes, make sure my son is saved. And, and he ended up passing away in a motorcycle accident. And, and for years, she, she struggled with that, that, that tremendous loss until she felt like God finally gave her an answer one day in prayer where God spoke to her and said, see, I, I, what you don't know is I walked down the hallway of his life to see how the end of his story was going to be. And you had prayed and asked God whatever it takes. And so I did the only thing that it could to save his soul. Because at some point he was going to get into a situation 
similar to like what you were saying and through the visions of these dreams that he couldn't handle. And this was the only way to save him of, of an internal punishment. With, with this going on and being a pastor in the church, I do want to ask, though, how many, during this time where you're going through this heartbreak for the second time, and were there people in the church that still wanted to come to you with petty issues that you were having to handle? And while you were trying to smile through and handle their issues inside, you were saying that you don't even understand this is what real priorities are. Let me ask it this way, because uh, I'm right on, on, on cue with Brian here, what I was thinking. Were you tired of wearing your Superman cape during all this? I think the only real problem that I had with anything is this, because you, you know in ministry, and, and I, I know my son can attest to this, that, that God takes you to school, you know, and, and we realize, you know, what's, what, what is a mountain to somebody is just a molehill to somebody else, but, but it's ministry. You, you have to look at it through their eyes, you know, because it's, it's a big deal for them. But I think the biggest problem I had was somebody would come up to me and put their arm around me and say, hey, I know what you're going through. And you want to stop and say, when did you lose your son, you know? But, uh, but you realize that, uh, that people are just trying to be, you know, be thoughtful and uh, and you and there's a lot of time we did a lot of just smiling and walking on but we realized something when we lost jeremy we realized something about when we lost little ricky it took 20 years seemed like our everything's been 20 year segments for us let me stop you right there look what i wrote down on this piece, piece of paper 20 years and i circled it because i wanted to come back that to a later time but i'm glad you brought it up now that gives me a segue into it it seems like God puts you in 20-year increments. You went through a loss at 20, another 20, a loss. Here you go, opening or pastoring a church with a vision. 20 years later, your vision's even greater. I cannot imagine what your next 20 years could look like. I want you to think, Justin sitting to your right right now, he's helping you pastor a greater vision, a vision that God cast for you. Justin has kids that is following in his footsteps. What does that next 20 years mean to you when you see his kids in leadership? We've started something here at Greater Vision. We call it generational thinking. You know, uh, I think you said it a while ago, uh, brother, about uh, generational curses. I think it was Sunday morning that, that we stood up together and uh, we talked about you know how God has set things up, how, how I fought battles you know, to break generational curses. But I know that as Moses led them to to the to Jordan, that my son's going to take them to the promises because I believe, and and we've talked about this, me and Pastor Justin there, that that God's about to open a a door to this generation that has been prophesied, mandated from from before. He said, "Let there be," and uh, and I believe we're about in the next twenty years. I I don't know if I'll see the end of that next twenty years or the world's going to last that long, but I do know this: uh, greater vision and 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 Pastor Justin. We're going to see the greatest revival. God gave us a 60,000-square-foot building for a reason. There's a reason. I mean, and, and, and we asked the, the bank president, I said, what do you think you could rebuild this building for, J just the main campus? We're sitting on three city blocks. There's, there's a building over there. There's a parsonage over there, just this building. He said, if I really 
crunched the numbers. He said, I think I could I could get it in around ten million. Mm. And so what what he told us was, hey, God made an eight million dollar down payment on that facility. <laughs> and, wow. and 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 you know. Uh, we didn't fathom this, but we knew that God's going to give us fruit that nobody else will pick, and that's his vision. Sure. Justin, I want to go back for just a second. Um, your brother that was your hero in your eyes that passed away, Jeremy. Right. Your dad just told us where he they had to pull your bed in at night, where you wanted that comfort of your parents. Um, can you speak to our listeners who have lost a sibling and speak comfort. I know that I couldn't I could never let me tell you a story real quick. I have a very good friend. I'm going to call his name. His name is Andrew Beavis and his wife Shayla Beavis. Uh, I grew up with them, very good friends of mine. Right now they have I don't know his age. He's he's under a year old and he keeps having seizures and they don't know what's wrong with them. They're lasting longer. The longer it goes, the longer they last. And it's a, it's a harder recoup recovery time. And I couldn't imagine going through that as I have a little two-year-old girl at home that is my world. And Brother Etheridge, as I, I watched you tell that story about Jeremy, I, 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 I for a second zoned out as I thought about, I thank God for Olivia. And I don't know how long God chooses to leave her on this earth. You got almost a year for your first son, 18 years out of your second that's something you never saw coming. That's right. And Justin, let me ask you, do you remember how you overcame that? Uh, I was nine years old, like you said, when that happened. And I, I remember, you know, this this and that. Uh, I, I have different memories uh, from then, but, but being, what, 24 years later, is that right? I believe 95 to 2019. I'm not sure. I think that's right. The main thing that sticks in, out in my head is just mainly his death, you know, after so much time has passed. But I, I, I remember bits and pieces. I remember being devastated. I remember, uh, I think you may have mentioned it a while ago. I, I can't remember how long it was before there was ever a tear that came out of my eye. And, and even to this day, I, just being completely honest, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's that I'm just cold, and I, I know I got a heart, but I don't know if it's because because of that or different family members pass away. Being in a pastor's home, just being around that all the time, it's, and and I hate to say it like that, but it's almost like it don't affect me like it should anymore. But the only thing that that I know that got us through was just completely saturating ourselves with God and the presence of God being. I know I always had parents, you know, going to bed at night even after that, you know, hearing them pray and speaking in tongues at the end of the bed. And, you know, Dad, he always jokes telling the church that when I was younger I had a drug problem. And he said, you know, I drug him to church, drug him to youth rallies, drug him to conferences, drug him to I'm camp meetings. I'm a drug addict myself. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, and that's what it takes. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know how anybody without the Holy Ghost can make it through life. You know, somebody can have a picture-perfect per- life. I know it's a uh, oh, uh, good tar player. My mind went blank. Wink Carter. He, he sings that song that says, you know, my best day out there still stills not compares to my worst day in church. Because I don't know how anybody can do it. 
because I know without and and to this day and I hope I ain't going off subject too much but uh I know because I I don't want to think that I've got soft shoulders either but I know I sometimes I still let stuff uh get to me because you know I don't have like dad I don't have 40 years under my belt like he's saying well ago you know when you asked him you asked about like you know more petty things he said well you just gotta you know look in that look at that person see how they're saying it well that that's his 40-year ministry my my much younger than that much less your ministry is thinking are you kidding me you know do you see what so-and-so over here is going through so-and-so over here is going through i was talking with somebody earlier and they're telling me some legitimate issues they're having but i'm thinking two other times this week me and my wife sat down and counseled a couple people that's going through some crazy i I don't without God you wouldn't get through situations and I want to point out to them you know well look at this situation look at this situation but I'm I, I'm trying to uh, trying to have that dad mentality. I'm, I'm trying to have dad mentality <laughs> to not go there, and and because it is legitimate, to, you know anything anybody goes through, and that's why we're here is to sure. help, and that's what God wants us to do. But I just thank God for parents that that just saturated me in church, saturated me in the presence of God, and that's that's the only way. You know, the Holy Ghost is our comfort. Sure, it is our comforter. So without the Holy Ghost, I don't understand myself. We're doing right. Right. Uh, Bishop, I want to ask you one last question on this topic, and then I think Brian, well, he's pulling up a note right now, but I want to ask you one last question on this topic regarding your two children and then Justin. After losing your first and losing your second, what does it mean to you, not as a pastor, but as a father, watching your son carry your vision? It's hard to differentiate between the two because they're, <laughs> they're connected. Everything we've ever done has been ministry, you know, along with family. Uh, I know that uh, uh, I feel like oh, uh, with the Crawford Coon, he said, I don't feel like I'm very spiritual. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like I'm <coughs> that, that spiritual. But but my wife, uh, God God shares things with her, not not very often, but but it's, uh, when it happens, you know it's a God thing. And uh, when, we, when we lost uh, little, little Ricky, then we lost Jeremy, and uh, we're going through this, uh, the Lord showed my wife uh, that uh, Justin's gonna come shining through. So I, I, I guess there's probably a, a bond there between me and Justin. We're probably so much alike, that's why we argue so much. But, and I, and I, I know when we started this podcast, I said, well, when he talks and I talk, they'll think it's the same person talking, you know. But, uh, but and, he, and he is the son in whom this father's well pleased. <laughs> but but uh, I think there's a bond there, probably more than we know. So we, we kind of got sidetracked. You were about to tell us a story about um, what it is you learned with the passing away of Jeremy about little Ricky what what was that well you know when we lost little Ricky uh, we weren't where we needed to be with the Lord and when you're not where you need to be with God you're, you're not gonna get direction you're not gonna get the answer you need because you only find this in, in Jesus but when we lost Jeremy uh, we realized you know through the dream uh, and she had another dream but through that dream that that God did that not for a punishment or not because somebody had sinned, but simply because he loved him so much and that he took him. And then then suddenly we have this flashback, you know, 20 years earlier, and we realize 
God did this because he loves us, because we've dedicated all three of our boys to God. And uh, so we, so what I have, uh, I've got a motivating factor to make it. David, David said this. David, David, uh, he, uh, his son was sick, Bathsheba, the first son they had. And he went into his chamber, I think, with the seven or eight days he prayed. Nobody could comfort him. Then he saw his servants whispering, so he realized that they, uh, his son had passed. And the Bible said he got up and uh, he went to the house of the Lord. And then he came back and he said, he cleaned up and he said, give me something to eat. And uh, the servants didn't understand it. said, while your son was sick, you prayed nobody would come for you. Now that your son's gone, he said, uh, man, you're up and life's going on. I don't know what happened when David went to the house of the Lord. But he had a, he had a spiritual experience in that place that changed his outlook his direction and everything else because when he went back life went on he said here's the secret and I think this is what God shared with him because this life's temporal whether you get two two hours or a hundred years but he said this he said my son cannot come back to where I am he said but I will go to where my son is and that's exactly and when something hits me that I don't think I'm gonna overcome it as a pastor, or, or, or you get, you know, you get that uh, out of nowhere. You remember, you know, that that I've got a motivating factor. And what he said right there, I, it makes me think. As I say this, they probably know it as my catchphrase here at church. I think it was Brother Dean that said it at a men's conference a few years ago. But he said, just a moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. It can. There are some struggles that we face that only time can even can answer. And so I, I'm thankful uh, to you, uh, Pastor Etheridge, that you've had the time to kind of get some of the answers of the questions of, well, why did that happen to you? And that, that motivating factor is there. Um, I, of course, nobody would ever want to go through what you've gone through. But through what you've gone through, that has obviously made you to be the pastor you have today. Um, have having gone through this experience how does it change the way you see of course we've talked a lot about other people's problems and how does it help you sympathize with 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 the family that goes through the same loss that you've gone through it, it almost you know of course there's that bond there and uh, and I am in the process of writing a little pamphlet that I want to start sharing with with Jeremy's dream when we lost Jeremy we went over to a couple's house that had lost their daughter who was part of our church and she was a, a beautiful young lady married just had a little baby and uh, uh, she, she got cancer and she passed away and uh, this had been a couple years for them but we just lost Jeremy just recently we walked over there and, and we're sitting in her living room and, and she looks at us and she says it does get better and, uh, you know, you want to be nice, but in my mind I'm thinking, well, obviously you didn't love your child like I love my child, or you didn't feel what I felt for my child, but she did. But what I've learned, I've learned this, that there are some things that you go through that you don't get over. There are some things you go through that you learn to live with. And I found out that instead of crying every day, there was a day I didn't cry, then there was two days I didn't cry, and like she said, it does get better. 
So I've learned to sympathize with people. It's like the guy who said, I felt bad because I had no shoes to I met a man who had no feet. And when you go through that, then all of a sudden, then you show more compassion because you know they're hurt. So, Pastor Justin, I think Tony said something about how uh, you were brought in and your mom was holding your hand. Now, was that more for her comfort or yours? Uh, it's probably a little bit of both. Cause I know it was a, a traumatic experience for for me as well as her. I, I know certainly after then, and now that I have kids, I, I can see it and I can I can sympathize. But I don't know, overprotective. I guess that would be the word. Yeah. Certainly so after that's what, that's what I was kind of thinking is that, it, that you'd want to hold on to what you still have. Certainly, and certainly. So with all that, and this will be my last question on this, and then kind of where I kind of feel like we want to go is just kind of touch on um, after this. Uh, how you've gotten to be where you're at now, how you came, because you were in South Carolina, how you came back into Arkansas. Um, and then after we, we do that, I want to talk with, with Pastor Justin about the future, talking about where we're at in this generation, what he sees in this generation, and the vision that, that you have for coming up. Of course, you know we've already talked about the fruit that other people don't want. We want to kind of dig into that. And so uh, before we get there, I'll ask this, this last question. That We've, we've seen how your dad has handled what he went through. How did you see what you, when you saw how your dad went through it? Uh, of course, obviously, you had the perspective of being in the home and seeing a mom and dad go through this and, and being the sibling. And through the years, going back and seeing it, you've got, obviously you guys have had Christmas together and Thanksgivings. What have you seen in your parents that that maybe they haven't seen in the way they handled it themselves? Uh, well, one thing, and I hope this kind of goes w- with what you asked, is is anytime, and I think I started to say something a little bit about it a while ago, I don't, I don't so much feel like I got soft shoulders, but I, I tend to let things get to me probably a little bit too much. And uh, I think about it. And then all of a sudden it'll click back, and I'll think, well, look what mom and dad went through, you know. You know, if they can, if they can hold. There's been times in my life, you know, that that, and I, I I'll just be honest. I think everybody's been there, you know, because I'm a pastor saying this, but uh, sometimes you just don't know is it really worth it, you know. It's almost like you go to a game. You play a game in your head of pros and cons and, and this and that, and, you know, is this worth it? Is this really worth it? And then all of a sudden you think, well, and, and maybe this is one of the big reasons they went through what they went through. I don't know, but but it, it'll go in my mind. I'll think if they can go through this and still show up on Sunday and lift up their hands and worship God, then who am I to let these little issues get to me and let these weights get to me and weigh on me and then and then start a pro and con game, you know, in my life? Then I think then I then I got to go into repenting from that moment, you know. God, I'm 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 sorry for letting my mind get here. And we was talking a little bit probably it, it may have been uh, before we started this, but uh, we're just talking about and almost like you go into like a little bit of a, a depression or something and you start letting things get to you and then your mind starts going and overload and, and, and working too much 
and then all of a sudden you just got to pull yourself back. I think the thing is we find our place sometimes when I, I even get caught up so much. I, I appreciate the night said sometimes even we talk about idols, talking about making things. An idol is anything we make greater than God. So said sometimes even in church we can make church activities an idol. I find myself, I work full-time here at the church, and I find myself every once in a while getting so caught up with church activities, with church functions, just day-to-day functions, everything going on. Hey, I forgot to pray. Hey, I forgot to read my Bible. When when I had a secular job, you know, it was almost there was so much structure there that I had, you know, the time to pray, I had the time to read the Word. But you got to have a place where you have your prayer time, you have your relationship with God, that you continually stay in the presence of God, or you're going to get caught in a place to where these issues are going to start wearing on your mind. It, it's very dangerous to, to let things become an idol. And whenever you said the thing about how church can become an idol, I absolutely believe that. There was a message that uh, that Jeff Arnold preached. You guys actually invited him uh, to the Jonesboro area, and he preached. Mm-hmm. And he, he preached something about the Ark of the Covenant and how the children of Israel said that if we can get the Ark back, it shall save us. And he was saying, you can't have an it savior. And ever since then, I've kind of related that to the way people see the church. Is how in the Old Testament, they had this box that they really, really looked up to, and they idolized the box. And we have the box, too. And it's the church, the, the boxing in of the church itself, where that becomes an idol. And if you don't have balance in your life, of especially whenever you're so uh, acclimated in the goings-on in the local church, that it can't become that idol. There has to be that balance between what you're doing kind of in the physical for the church and what you're doing spiritually. Certainly. And, Justin, you were just talking about how <clears throat> sometimes – you let your mind get the best of you. We were talking off the record before the podcast. You asked us why we started this podcast, and I kind of mm-hmm. opened up to you um, about why we did that. I made this this phrase to you that sometimes you ask me what sparked my depression. Was there something um, specific that I can go back and point to and say that was the cause of? And I said, no, it was my mind. Exactly. The battle of the mind is very easy to lose. But the importance of winning it is very high. But I want Brian alluded to it just a couple seconds ago. Um, I'm going to ask you a huge question, Bishop, uh, and feel free to 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 go back on that airplane if you want to. But Brian said you left Paragould and you headed to South Carolina. What year? After how long were you in Paragould before you did that? Uh, well, we I spent three years uh, from '75 to '78 uh, in, in Kentucky. Then we came back for about a year, and then we left in December 79 again and spent four more years at Jackson. And after I got out of the Army in Jackson, they put me on levy to go to Germany, and I'd been to Germany, and I didn't want to go back, so I, I got out again. And God seemed to always put me back in. I ended up with 22 years active service. But, but when we were in South Carolina, when we prayed back through and got in church, and I started out as a, a youth 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 pastor then uh, I become uh, the, the song leader then I become the assistant pastor then you became the utility hitter yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, and what had happened the the pastor had uh, had kind of got way out there so the district set him down and put me as inner pastor and uh, uh, during this time, there was a lot of conflict going on, a lot of hardship, a lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain in the church, and, and we began to pray uh, about coming back to Paragool. 
and uh, and uh, I prayed. I said, Lord, if you want us back to Paragol, there's seven doors that you have to open. And in a two-week period, God opened seven doors. Now, that's what I want to ask you about because I have got, I am hooked on a book that has been recommended reading by three of our prior guests on the show. And I decided to order the book and I began to read it. And within the first eight chapters of that book, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'll tell you why. I was super excited to stop at that point because I knew we were coming to talk to you all. And I didn't want this thought to, to, to leave me um, without talking to you all first. So y'all are, you guys are pulling that bookmark out for me so I can talk to you guys about this first. But in this book, it talks about how when David was found, he was out with the sheep. He was a shepherd. And when he was found, he, he, was, he was told who he was going to become. And, you know, the, the king at the time, I believe it was Saul, was a little envious or felt like, oh, no, this young blood is coming to take my spot in the kingdom here. I ain't going to let that happen. And the book goes on to talk about how spears were thrown at David. And David have, had a choice, one of two things. The book says he could either pick up that spear and throw it back to where it came from, and that would make him an excellent marksman, but it would make him angry. Or he could forget about what happened, just not worry about who's throwing spears at him, and he could live who he was called to be. You just said there were seven things that had to happen before you came to Paragould, and those seven things were... I'm sure they weren't easy things to, to, to come up with. How did it feel when it felt like spears were coming at you when you knew this was the will of God to come to Paragould? I, I would say that, you know, I was so deep into what I was wanting God to do in my life and uh, so desperate for a move of God that I didn't, I didn't consider all the things that were coming at me because I, I don't know, uh, there, there are a lot of things that happened that I, I won't share, you know, because they're, they're too personal and, and, and uh, they could probably get, you know. But uh, uh, I, I want to share just one thing that God did. Uh, well, he did, he did seven things. He did it in two weeks. But I think the thing that really uh, propelled us to come home quickly, uh, we, well, we had to sell our, our home. When we sold our home, we had bought it off a handshake agreement, and the guy had kept the money. And the guy just won, I think, like a $2 million lawsuit, so he didn't need the money. But, uh, uh, and so after God had opened six doors, and, and each one was a miracle, but the seventh door was uh, we counted up our money and we needed 317 more dollars, and this was back in 83, uh, to make the move. And we're down, at, we're down at the foot of the bed praying, and the phone rings. And uh, my wife gets up out of prayer and answers the phone, and it's her mother. Her mother uh, wasn't uh, involved in church. Uh, she went through a divorce with my, my, my wife's stepdad. She was frequent frequenting the bars, you know, and she was kind of living a wild, wild life. But she worked down here at Deb's Motel on the, on the north end of town here. And uh, she's just out of the blue. She'd never been to church with us, had no religious experience. She walks into the motel room to clean it, and when she does, the Holy Ghost overshadows her. She, she, she doesn't understand what it is. 
But when she felt that, she she's on the phone and she's crying hysterically. She can't hardly even talk. And and she said, I felt something come over over me like I've never felt before. She said, I, I reached over and I grabbed the Gideon Bible in the room and I clutched it to my chest. And I sat, sat down in the chair and began to cry. She said, I heard a voice. And that voice spoke to me and said, send Rick and Ellen $317. Oh, my. And she had just sold her house, and so she wrote us a check for $317, and she said, y'all get home. I've got to be saved. We come home, and uh, now remember before this how many times I'd walked into to Wall Street down here getting a call from the bartender. You know, your mother-in-law's rowdy. You need to come get her. I can't tell you how many times I walked in there and threw her over my shoulders and walked out, you know, and church people thinking, well, there goes Brother Etheridge out of the bar, you know, but but uh, as my mother-in-law. And uh, God brought her in. I baptized her in Jesus' name. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She went out of this world uh, just a few months ago, born again. And that's, you know, and that's, so you think about the little spears and the fiery darts that come at you, but when you realize you know, this is a God thing, and when God does it, amen, all these other things don't matter because if it, uh, I read a, a story about a sniper whose objective was to take out a drug cartel in South America. He goes out there, and he sits down in the heat, and he's, he's concealed camouflage. He's, he's got his, uh, his weapon pointed at that front door when, when his objective gets there, and he's going to pull that trigger, and he's going to take that cartel leader out. And I know this might not be the best example to use, but as he's sitting there, the sun hits. You know, he, he needs to, to defecate. He defecates. He needs to urinate. He urinates. You know, he's sitting, he, he's sitting there and all this stuff. He's not moving because he, he's got an objective. The sun's hitting him. It's hot. He's been there for hours. And suddenly he said, my mind begins to play games with me and says, you know, is this where you need to be? Is this what you're supposed to do? But he, he, he has this thought. He said, he said, I had to remember that I made this decision when I was in my right mind. And when when you when God tells you to do something, you're like Joseph, you know, I, I, I'm, you're going to the palace, you know, David, you're going to, to be king. Well, he didn't tell Joseph he's going to the pit, you know, Potiphar's the prison, then the palace. And but if, if you just remember when God told you that you're in your right mind, all this other stuff will work itself out. So whenever you first came back into that is well, first of all, I just gotta say that is that is such an awesome story, uh, and and it, it tells me be careful what specifically you ask for. Amen. Right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, what? Let me just ask you something real quick. What in the world went through your mind when you opened that that envelope that was in the mail and it was to the penny what you needed? <laughs> what what went through your head? Well, it's just it's just that assurance. This is a God thing. We needed a furniture moved. I'd been out of the army six months. I went down on post and I walked in to uh, to travel. And he said, "What day were you discharged?" I said, "December 2nd. He added up. He said, "Well, today's the last day you could have got your furniture moved back to Perigo." We moved back to Perigo on June the third, uh, 1983. We moved in. Two blocks over here from the house we moved in, you can look over and see this church. We're there. Our furniture just got there. We're there. We're 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 going to bed. Uh, just just right there, just a thousand feet from here. And uh, about one o'clock in the morning, we get woke up about in the middle of the night, and there's this 
black silhouette at the foot of our bed and all you can see is a black silhouette and two eyes like fire and uh, immediately it just uh, like a springboard it set us both up in the bed and I just pointed my left finger I mean my left hand at my point my finger I said I rebuke you in Jesus name and it never showed any emotion never did, but it just it just took a few seconds and it turned around and walked out of that room and just dissipated and I was praying. I said, Lord, what is this? And he, he, he gave me the scripture, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He said, he said the demon, you know, who's the head of this principality, come to check out the new preacher. And now here we are. We're back on this side of town again, and we're whooping that devil. <laughs> was that 20 years ago by chance? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Maybe close to 40. Yeah. Oh, wow. So whenever you came back, back to Paragol, um, so did this church, you founded this church. This it wasn't already existing beforehand. Yeah, we we started this work. Yeah. So in the years of your pastoral ministry here, I'm sure there's been several pivotal moments where, that you can go back to and say that's the moment where things they changed. And then again, man, that's the moment that things changed. What were some of those breakthroughs that you experienced uh, in your years of ministry here? I guess we could do that in segments too. I want I want both of y'all's answer on this. By okay. The way. I think I, of course you know we started at the National Guard Army when when we made this move we've been praying about it for about three years and uh, and God got me to the point when we would come into town I would start bawling you know because this is where God wanted us and uh, and when we made that move we we stepped out with nothing we didn't have a, a account we didn't have anything didn't have uh, we just we just went to the National Guard Armory rented it for $25 and hoping we'd have enough people there that service to pay the $25 and uh, we get to setting <coughs> things up and I got the little lecture there you know that I used to teach class with you know on drill days and and we're setting out chairs and and I asked my wife said well how many chairs should we set out she said, well, I don't know. I said, let's set out 65 chairs and see what happens. And we set out 65 chairs. We set up our little bitty speaker uh, system we had. We played, you know, guitar and sung at the house. And <clears throat> we had our first service. And we set out 65 chairs. had 63 people. You should have set out 514 chairs. <laughs> well, well we, you sh the next week, let me tell you what we did. <laughs> But but at the end of that service, I thought I had everything done. But I, I, there's one thing that I, I'd forgotten to do, and and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm 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 uh, I'm in in the service with a plea, you know, for anybody who needs to get where they need to be. An and this, call, yeah. yeah, an altar call. And this guy walks past me, and I don't know what he's doing because he walks right past me from the congregation. He goes behind me. He finds two milk crates, <clears throat> and there was a board down there. It was about probably about four feet long, about a two by two by eight or something. He takes that. And he brings those two uh, milk crates and puts them in front of me. Lays down that board, builds his altar, and prays through. Wow! <laughs> wow! And these are the moments, you know, that you know it's a God thing. Then we went to we went to this side of town. 14th, uh, 14th Avenue, and uh, we had bomb threats. They tried to burn it down, you know, and, and it was crazy. And we were having revival. We went from uh, from a vision to about, a, what, 180 people. Couldn't, 
yeah. get them anymore. Went went across town and said, "Hey, we." Uh, it's in a bean field. Yeah, and this was 18 years ago, and uh, and uh, we wanted to buy it and went up to the bank and and I said, "I need to borrow a quarter of a million dollars." You know, this was 18 years ago, and he said, "What have you got for collateral?" I said, "I've got fifteen thousand dollars in our general account, and I got the will of God." And he laughed at me. I said. This is a God thing. And he just stopped and looked at me and he said, we're going to give you that money. Mm. <laughs> Brother Etheridge, Bishop Etheridge, I'm I'm over here struggling with something right now. I've never done this on a podcast. And Brian, feel free to stop me at any time. I genuinely mean that. But I feel like God, I'm not going to prophesy here, but I'm going to feel what I feel has been let on my heart ever since you've been talking. I wrote it down because I can't stop. I can't shake the feeling. But I honestly feel like you are a modern-day Job. And I feel like God has given you this property on the side of town that you had a vision for how many years ago? Uh, Probably back in the 70s. I feel like God has given you this land for a purpose. Yes. And to see the passion and hear the passion that you're not only sharing with us, but with the people who's going to be listening to this in the weeks to come, I honestly, truly feel like this building that you've just purchased isn't going to be large enough for the revival God's sending your way. We I mean, I, I feel Amen. like I feel like you're right now at almost like a stepping stone, and I do not want to degrade what... God's given you in this building, but listening to you, I don't know about Brian, but I can, I can feel your vision and see your vision and what a fitting name greater vision is for this church. My God, I, I felt like I had to share that with you. And I may, I don't want to say I may be wrong because I don't feel like that is, but I want to speak into you that whatever you do, don't lose your burden and your passion that you have right now. Soak that in as much as you can, Justin. I mean, I'm over here almost shaking because I I feel, I feel your vision and your burden and your passion. Well, anyway, uh, let's get back on track (laughs) here. Um, Justin, I want to hear your side of it now. We just heard your dad's. I would love to hear what you have to say on that topic. Well, tell me again. Give me my direction. Um, I've been captivated the, the, listening. The pivotal moments in, in the past of the church, things that you saw. And also, while, while you're talking about it, if, if you have some of those breakthrough stories, I'd like to ask you also to minister to a person out there that's struggling, that's really needing a breakthrough. Definitely, definitely. I know we was talking about a little bit ago, you mentioned about the Ark of the Covenant. And if you do some, some searching on the Ark of the Covenant, you find that it was so heavy by the way it was overlaid with gold, everything that was in it, the cherubim. Just you, you take all the details of the Ark of the Covenant and you do a little research on about how much it weighed and you can find different options. But every option that you find of people that's, that's done that research and trying to do your own research, you find that it is physically impossible for four men to pick that up which we know in the Bible it says that there was four priests that carried the Ark and the Covenant uh, on their shoulders. And there was a, uh, I heard a story once, I think it was a, a rabbi that had, that had told someone, said what they, what they believe and what they preach is that once you commit 
to carrying the ark that will it will in turn carry you and they said they actually believed in what they teach is that you could actually see those priests and their feet would just be inches off the ground as they would carry that ark of the covenant and that's what we found out you know through all this if you will commit to the will of god in your life god will carry you through whatever the situations as as and i completely agree with with brother tony as he said and i believe dad probably don't see it like that because he's the one living it but i i think he's a modern day Job as well, and that's what I've I've learned through him is that if you will commit your life to God, that He can carry you through anything that you go through. But through these through these all these transitional moments, I, I wish it was all you know just rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, but it it, it certainly wasn't. Which nobody's life is. Nobody's uh, no saint, no pastor, no preacher. Uh, they're going to go through some stuff. But but like you said, we started in the armory. We had some great times. We've seen revival in the armory. We moved over to 14th Avenue, a, a miracle in itself. That's where Sister Lori and I met. I was 12 years old, and she's just a little bit older than me. So if everybody knows how old I am, I won't say how old My now. My wife's but. older than me, too. My wife's <laughs> older than me, too. Hey, there we go. There we go. And I remind her of that often. Well, my well, wife certainly do. <laughs> my wife rules the roost. She knows she's older. Yes, yeah. She says she's she's raised me up about, uh, about she's about got me how she wants me, but I still got some rough edges. I'm not going to ask you if she's where you want her. <laughs> well, she is exactly. Lori, I love you. You are amazing and beautiful. But uh, but that that's where we met, and uh, then then God just did another miracle. We went over and took some people and took a leap of faith. Like He said, the bank took a leap of faith with us, and and we started uh, building a building over on 1004 South Rock and Chair Road here in Paragould, and 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 I can remember that very first service that we had. Uh, just went crazy god confirmed you know our move and there was people singing in the holy ghost we was there for hours people was trying to leave out of the front doors couldn't leave because people was laid out all over the place uh, so they was having to 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 kind of go through an obstacle course to get out the, the side doors but it's just one of those moments that always stick out in your mind just it's just crazy services confirmation that god's given then of course where we are now let me say this about where we are now I just thought about this a second ago. I didn't tell this part. There, there's so many miracle stories that, that we could be here all night telling. Just the transition from Rocking Chair Road to Court Street in this facility that no, we're I've in. I've been to Rocking Chair Road Church. You uh-huh. all had some powerful services. Just a few oh, I've we been do. there. We do. Man. That, that's the thing that that I can say about about that. Anywhere he's he's been... We've always had revival. That's that's our, that's that's all I know. Growing up is just just revival, just crazy services, and I think that's due to a lot of fact what he's been through, and him being sensitive to God to stepping in. Uh, somebody said one time an evangelist that came in, more of a, a prophet type preacher, and he came in and he said, he said when I come here, he said it's not something that I bring with me. He said it's just what I step into while we're here. So it's just something every one of us, if we just step into what God's already doing. But back to the transition from Rock and Cheer Road to Court Street, uh, they had a meeting, and in that meeting, talking about Eastside Baptist Church, and they said the only people, because they didn't have, they, they never put a for sale sign up, they never talked with a realtor, nothing ever happened because they, they wasn't quite selling the building yet. And uh, they had a meeting to discuss it, 
And they said the only people that had contacted them about buying it was this actual city of Perigold. They wanted to move all their, I guess, everything, all their departments into one building and just work out of one building. And they <coughs> had a meeting with the, with the board, and they got different committees. And uh, they stood there, and they was talking about all this. What do you think we should do? And uh, one of them stood up that I'd mentioned earlier, and uh, he said, guys, he said, y'all listen to me for a second. He said, what needs to happen over here is, it, and I'm, I'm talking about the Baptist church. He said, what, what needs to happen over here is uh, a ministry needs to continue on after we leave. And he said, I believe they're going to do greater things than what, than what we've done over mm -hmm. here. And he said, so what needs to happen is we don't, we don't need to be looking and listening to anything outside of ministries that, that want this facility. He said, and what needs to happen is when it's all said and done, whoever buys this church, whatever church or ministry it may be, he said the testimony needs to be, look what the Lord has done. And just blew my mind. And I'm thinking that's at this table that we're sitting at is where they had that meeting. Wow. Is where we're at right now. <laughs> And when you th when you th when you talk about that, it makes me think about how there's always something more out there. Definitely, there, there's always something more. You know, of course, we're not here to talk about the individual denominations and stuff. But I know there are certain denominations that are out there that we know there's more for you to experience. That be beyond the belief that you have, there's there's more out there for you. And now here you are, giving that more to this side of this community. Yes. And praise God for what he has done. Um, I got to ask this before we get back into some meat of the conversation. Uh, Tony talked about how you've been, he had been in some services over here. I know Wayne Huntley preached for you here. Um, I was here one time when IBC came in and, and saying, I got to ask you guys, who's some of y'all's favorite preachers? Uh, it's, well, so for people who didn't just see <laughs> what happened, there's one, two, three, four, five of us in the room, so we got to see it. Brian asked that question. They just looked at each other and smiled. So this is gonna be a good question. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say, as 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 the the church progresses, specifically the United Pentecost Church progresses, uh, th there's becoming so many more great great preachers that we're just falling in love with. We was talking about a youth rally we got coming up, and we've mentioned different names like uh, Brother Chris Green. I mean, phenomenal preacher, preached a camp meeting for us. But I've got to say, because he's preached for us several times now, Brother, Brother Wayne Huntley, you know, he's certainly at the top of the list, and, and we still talk with him on and off and message him and, and, and stuff, and he'll, he'll come back and preach for us. Court Chaffus, I mean, is a, is a powerhouse. Uh, I, I told, we was talking the other day in a ministry class, and I, I was telling them, I think that's where it was anyway, I said, you kind of got two, two types of preachers from what I can tell. You have passion preachers that they may not just be the, the best at articulating what they're saying. They might not bring out the deepest thoughts, but, but you can feel their passion. And I, I mean, just the anointing that comes off of them. And then you have some preachers that they certainly have anointing, but they really dive deep into the Word and get to the meat of the Word. And I was thinking a couple of those preachers is uh, like Brother Anthony Mangan. He, you know, he's everybody's favorite, and he's he is such a passion, a passionate preacher. And you can you can feel his vision, you can feel his passion. And then you have guys like J. H. Osborne that are just the storytellers. <laughs> My dude, right there. Yeah, I, I said in a. Uh, uh, I don't remember what it was called a Let's Talk or something. Once I was invited to, and he was talking and. 
and 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 he says when you're when you're preaching and you're telling somebody about your message, you're telling a story out of the Bible. He he said make it make it interesting, you know. He, he I can't remember who it was he's talking about at one time, but uh, I can't remember where they was walking somewhere. But he said if he said if they're walking somewhere in the story, he said put some orange shoes, some orange Nikes on them or something <laughs> like. He said dress it. But he is such a great storyteller. Uh, I could go on all night on some. I want to tell you a quick story about them. If you've already listened to a previous podcast, fast forward the next twenty seconds. But (laughs) I went to to men's conference, Arkansas men's conference, when him and Elias Lamonis preached together. Oh yeah, and uh, that week, Obed Adam. Yes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I prayed and fasted the week before as my first Arkansas men's conference. I said, God, give me a word in this men's conference. And I really felt like God was going to do that. And I get there. I hadn't heard of either one. I get there, and it's an old man and a Hispanic gentleman that I can't understand. And an old guy I won't relate to. And anybody who knows me, I'm a baseball fan. But the very first thing Jay Osborne talks about when he gets to the pulpit is a baseball. I said, oh, there's my word. <laughs> and you knew it was Tony's first men's conference because he wore a full suit. Nobody wears a suit to men's conference. Right, right. I wore that suit. <laughs> Bishop, yeah, tell us yeah. tell us about some of your favorites. Uh, Pastor Justin, he just mentioned all of them, and, and I, I want to say, but you know, Arkansas has some great preachers too. Absolutely. You know, Brother Getty don't get no better than him. Uh, Brother Sullivan, just so many great guys. Brother Anderson, my yeah, Brother to be Anderson, a part of definitely. Such a great yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. We are so blessed. Now there, there's an evangelist that uh, preached our first revival when we come to Paragol. Uh He's been preaching for us for 20 years. Oh, he, he comes twice a year, and his name's Bruce Shepherd. Uh, and uh, uh, he uh, he he's a keeper. He's a great oh, preacher. Yeah. He's a fireball. All right. So, who's some of your least favorite preachers? No, no, no. Was there a guy named Tim Button? No. <laughs> oh, no. Shots have been fired. No. Uh, so, so, so we've talked a lot about the, the, the past vision. And like I said, uh, Pastor Justin, we want to talk to you about the future, where you go from here. Um, I'd like to ask you, of course, what is your, your vision that you want to see uh, in the future here in Paragould, uh, maybe even with the daughter works? I think you may mention of a daughter work that's in Jonesboro. And, and what do you see in, in our generation? We actually got local licensed at, at, the, at the, I think, the same meeting. Uh, I think it was in 2015 we, we were both licensed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see in our generation that not only do you want to see here in the local church, but you hope to see in your generation uh, of of the brotherhood, right? I, of course, my my outlook is to continue to be sensitive and follow the direction and be obedient to the will of God. But but to tell you exactly where my uh, vision derives from from first of all is uh, Dad's talked about it in a couple services, and and y'all remember Aaron Bounds. Uh, just at this last camp meeting, y'all remember him saying this, and that really stuck with us. My my vision is going to derive from my dad's dreams because we know the Bible says that old men are going to dream dreams, young men are going to see visions. And what dad has seen with his eyes shut, I believe I'm going to see with my eyes open coming in the future. And uh, I, I believe dad's generation is has paved the pathway they've pioneered the way for for what we're going to be able to experience and 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 these promises are going to come and we're going to get to fulfill just like uh joshua Uh, but anyway i i believe that the greatest things are yet to come i believe that that 
and I don't know how everybody else feels out there, but I'm going to throw this out there. I believe that we are the generation uh, that's going to see the coming of the Lord. Let me tell you Certainly. something, that I, a phrase that gets thrown around quite a bit that I do not like at all, and I'll explain myself. I cannot stand whenever people from a, uh, a podium says the phrase, the the children and the youth are the next generation. Oh, yeah. No, they're now. No, they're, now. they're they're vital, key to a church. Let, let me say this. Yeah. I want to interrupt just real quick. Mm-hmm. You, you remember when Moses uh, went out of Egypt and into the wilderness? God looked down there, and, and and everybody was murmuring. Everybody was complaining. He said he just stopped and said he, he said, "Hey, just give me your young people. Just give me your young people. I'm gonna bring them into the promise." And everybody twenty and under. They're the ones that went over the promised land. And and I believe it today, just like Pastor Justin just said here, you know, that this generation is going to fulfill what we've dreamed about seeing. And this may be kind of crazy to say it, but we have we have means and technology and, and, and certain avenues now that we can use in this generation that like the United Pentecostal Church International's model is, the whole gospel to the whole world, that we can do that. You know, so much, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, better than we've ever been able to. And it's technology that we're used to, that we're on. And I I certainly believe as simple as that is, that's that's how this generation, one of the main uh, avenues, how we're going to use it. But I believe that that we're going to have the greatest evangelists. I believe we're going to have the greatest prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We're going to have the best of the best. And it's not because we're a better generation than the last generation, but because we're standing on the shoulders of the last generation. Well, we, it, we, it's our duty to be as, as good as we can. Like you were saying, the, there's the availability of study material that's out there now. Right. The, the access to other people's messages. There's no reason why we're not the best preachers that the world has ever seen. Sorry. Because we have so much access to being able to hear how somebody else said a message or being able to, to get any form of media in the palm of our hands in just a moment, any sort of commentary. We should be the most educated preachers there's ever been. We should be the best preachers there's ever been. And then with all the, the generations of anointing that we've come under, we should be the most anointed generation that there's ever been. Definitely. Amen. Well, Bishop and Pastor, we both greatly appreciate you guys being here. We're going to end with two two of our segments, my, one of my favorites and one that uh, really helps everybody, honestly. Uh, I want to hear from both of you. We'll start with you, Bishop. Any recommended reading? Well, I just started reading a book that Brother Gaddy gave us. He gave it to the the whole district board, and it's uh, titled The Reason uh, for God. It's by Thomas Keller, and I think that's going to be a great read. Awesome. Pastor Justin? I have uh, one at the house I've been reading on, and then there's there's one we got at the Impact Conference, but one I just want to tell you about, I'll tell you about this one that's that's really motivating me right now. I've only made it into, I don't know, maybe two or three chapters of it, and it's not a an apostolic guy or anything like that, but uh, so I wouldn't follow him on, on a lot of things. But Stephen Furtick, he's got a book called Greater, and it's talking about to, to be great, you got to go small. And that's something that's really been speaking to me in my life, and I, I, I definitely recommend that book. And so we would also like to hear from both of you guys tonight. Uh, again, thank you so much for inviting us into to, to your evening and adhering to this church. Uh, but we want to give you both an opportunity to give the listeners a final word. Is there anything you want to minister to them about, uh, talk about? It may not even have pertained to anything we've, we've talked about to, uh, 
thus far tonight, but anything that, that you just want to unburden yourself with tonight? Pastor Justin, if you want to go first. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate you guys coming and taking the time. Uh, we enjoyed being on here. And uh, I don't know if we if we've helped, maybe vented some at all. Anything we can do helps, but we appreciate you guys. Uh, just stay committed, stay strong. The destination's going to be worth the journey. Uh, if there's any preachers, kids uh, listening on here, I, I can certainly speak to that because not only am I a preacher's kid, but now I have uh, preacher's kids. I, I think the hardest thing sometimes is uh, you feel like you live in a glass house. Uh, nobody likes to feel like you're public property. You know what I mean? But but just stay in there. God's going to use you in a mighty way that he can't use anybody else. Sometimes, uh, you know, everybody's going to say, well, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You know, you've always had it going. You never had the testimony of of, of like I'm going to have this or that, but you you have a great testimony. You need to keep the testimony. If you're a young person and you're a, a preacher's kid right now, the most powerful testimony that you can ever have is that I have never tasted alcohol. I've never smoked a joint. I've never done this. I've never done that. That's the most powerful testimony because all these people sometimes, and, and I'm kind of getting on Dad's territory now because he talks about this, I, I love anybody's testimony that's came out of anything. I thank God for that. Every once in a while, you get these people that almost seems like they're up there bragging about, you know, their old cocaine habit, and they're bragging about how I used to drink this much and this, that. But what they don't tell, Dad likes to call it the un, sin's untold story. They don't tell about, well, you know, tell them about how your kids went hungry. Tell them about this, tell them about that. So let me tell you something, uh, a young person, if you're a pre preacher's kid, pastor's kid, whatever it may be, hang in there. You're going to have a great testimony. You're going to be anointed by God, and you just do what God's called you to do. Bishop? I'd like to share this. I, I know this, that uh, looking back through 40 years of ministry, that, uh, that when God calls you to do something, that uh, most of the time when God tells you to do something, uh, not very many people are going to buy into your vision. And every big step I've ever made, a leap of faith for God, I've had to do it, you know, without the support of, of uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of help because most of the time when you, you stand somewhere, you stand alone because God, God works that way. But what I want to share with you is this, that if, if God has given you a vision, if God has given you a promise, uh, hang in there. Don't give up because God will bring it to pass. And God won't give you a vision until you support another man's vision. Amen. Wow. Thank you both gentlemen. Uh, we were going to hit you guys with, with a final surprise here in that we were going to do one last final word. Here in the, in the conference room where we're meeting, is one of the ministers here at Greater Vision that Tony and I have known for almost 10 years now. And we want to give Brother Tim Butler an opportunity to speak on what the ministry of the Etheridges both have meant to you. Oh. Um, seven years and two days shy, four months ago, I sat in your office for the first time. And Earlier that day, I went to go eat lunch with my best friend, Tony. And that's whenever he found out that I was leaving the church in Jonesboro. And he was mad at me. <laughs> and I can understand that. But when I came here to 
greater vision. Of course, everybody in this room knows the story. I was broken, I was embarrassed, I was wounded, and I was hurt. And I had spent several months up to that point knowing that there was going to be a transition in my life, but the question up until a couple weeks before that day was where? And I had prayed with Brother Runyon there in Jonesboro, counseled with him, and I felt that greater vision was where God was leading me. And I remember sitting in your office that night, Brother Etheridge, and I made this statement. I said, I'm not coming to seek for a pulpit. I'm not coming to seek for a position. I'm coming to heal, and I'm coming to grow, and I'm com coming to move forward in where it is that God wants to take me. Now, I didn't know what was going to take place. I didn't know that God was going to order the steps in my life that he did. Right. But I've learned from your hurts, and I've learned from your glass house, because yeah. I didn't grow up in this. I didn't have any wisdom in that area. And raising kids, trying to raise kids now in a minister's home in my home, I could learn mm -hmm. from your experiences or your hurts. Yeah. I saved this in my notes probably, well, over three years ago. It said, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn hurt into healing, your pain into power, and your wounds into wisdom. And I want to say that, you know, 40 plus years ago, you know, whenever y'all lost little Ricky, you didn't know the wisdom that that was going to turn into. You know, 24 years ago, whenever you lost Jeremy, you didn't know the wisdom that that was going to turn into. Whenever I went through what I went through years ago, or even as a child, I didn't know the wisdom that that was going to turn into. I didn't know the healing that that was going to turn into for other people. And having seen what you went through and Brother Justin, what you went through, I want you to know that it is immeasurable the impact, not only that you've had in my life, but in the life of my family and you know with Valerie and our kids because I look at our youth group and that is a, what you two are doing is my passion. Y'all know my passion. My passion is unity. That's what I seek for in everything yeah. that I do. And so many times we've seen throughout so many years where people were in a time of transition and it became more about the ego of one or the other. Yeah. And that's not what we have in this case. You've taken your pain and you've used it to help others. You're taking this wisdom and you're putting it into this transition. And I look at where I am right now, I don't think that I'm anything special. But I promise you that to the both of you, you know, Brother Justin, I have, I've told many people this, I am mesmerized by the leaps and the bounds that you have taken in your ministry. Amen. You know, I look at whenever I came here seven plus years ago that you were involved in ministry, but not as much as what, right. yeah. in my opinion, and please forgive me if I'm wrong, but not as much as I feel like God wanted you to be. You're exactly right. And I remember whenever you came back from men's conference that year, and uh -huh. you made that statement, one moment in the presence of God had changed your life forever, and that's when you changed. Yeah. And I remember the way that you just loved me. 
and whenever you loved me like I was one of your own, and you took me in, and there will never be enough words for me to say how grateful I am for that, and I appreciate it all. And let me say, I think that's why Greater Vision has become what it is, and, and, and we've succeeded or had uh, some measure of success through the years, is because people can come in at this moment. You know, he'd been Brother Butler, awesome man of God, and, and Greater Vision, a big part of what it is today is because who he is and how he's led our young people. He's, he's our, our youth pastor and has done a fantastic job for the last few years. But because you can come in here broken and bleeding and we don't just see this as as just a church we don't see it as just a social club but we see it as a hospital that anybody that can come in here you can be changed you can be healed you're going to get broken and you're going to be bleeding you know in life but through these situations you can come in and you can be touched and you can leave changed and we we appreciate brother butler so much and his wife sister val well i don't know about you brian but this podcast has been incredible for me and like brian said we can't thank you all enough for opening your heart to us and our listeners um we have a saying on our podcast we never know whose testimony is going to be touching others that listen and i truly believe that your vision has cast not just to this church but will help somebody no telling when they listen to this but um brother etheridge brother etheridge (laughs) tim brian always a pleasure you guys haven't found us on uh, any of our platforms we have on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe, like, give us a rate. If you don't like us, rate us anyway. Just make sure it's a five. And uh, <laughs> if there's anything that you can do or want us to do, we have our email in the link. And, of course, that email, if you can't find in the link, is thecrucialconversation at gmail.com. What you've heard tonight, don't take lightly. You heard a very intimate conversation from two pastors that have a true heart and love for people. What you've heard but what you haven't seen is the expression of their love. When Tim was opening up and telling his story, and, and you could just see the passion that was bo- in both of these gentlemen tonight. And so we want to give out a final message to a person that's out there. If you're not connected to a local church, find you a pastor that has a vision. Find you a pastor that's going to ha- love you. And if you're out there and you've gone through hurts and you've gone through struggles and you've gone through pain, you can learn from that. There's a wisdom that you can grow from to help somebody that someday that you'll get connected to. And if you show them the love of Christ and tell them your story, their lives will be changed. Thank you for listening. And this has been The Crucial Conversation.